he's like, you know, and then because these these guys are Buddhists, um, they believe in totality about reincarnation, and he's like, I'm telling you, man, if when I come back and I've got a better life, I'm not going to waste any of it feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to take that opportunity and run with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a cool perspective. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. But Welcome back to Craft Beer Travel and Adventure. Um, those of you who have been listening know that we really had a great freaking time in Bend, Oregon. Um, yeah, so we're still talking about Bend. So we're still talking about Bend, but that's because we have another podcast about Bend with one of, uh, one of the really, mo- one of the most interesting brewers I think we've met, period. Yeah. And with one of the most interesting approaches, but you know, I don't, I don't want to frame it up too much because, um, Paul from Ale Apothecary, that's who we're talking to today. He like, I mean, he's just such an interesting person. And him and his wife, Stacy, have built this really cool brewery from a really cool life. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to, well, he, I don't want to say too much because he did a great job of explaining everything. He took the podcast and ran with it. Yeah. He kind of took over the craft beer travel Which adventure podcast. Awesome. Cause he's lived it. He's, <laughs> he's lived the craft beer and he's lived the travel and the adventure and, He's yeah. kind of wrapped it all back into his beer now. It's a really interesting story, and uh, it, I think it, it is very bend. Because I mean, when we were there, I, you guys know, um, like we had a great time mountain biking there. The beer scene is off the hook in Bend. Every every place we went was fantastic, and just the town itself, Bend itself, is just a very welcoming. Um, open place and Paul it's very creative well yeah and Paul and Stacy actually are kind of like the epitome of that because I think they're so, welcoming yeah. opening creative their space is like that um, yeah so it, it, I don't know the, the podcast is definitely about beer it's a very unique way of um, creating the beer um, very unique but it's also about the travel and how perspective kind of comes into play with how they create the beer and how they live their life too. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a perfect podcast. Like we don't even need to say much else. Yeah. I'll probably say a little bit more after the podcast just yeah. cause I got a couple of things to say, but I don't, I don't want to overstimulate your brain with thoughts before Paul does. Cause he's, he's really good at, he's really good at um, conveying basically his life story and what they've created from their yeah. lives and put back into the Bend beer scene. Well, this is one of our favorite interviews. Um, I think it went really well, and we hope you have fun with this one as well and listening. So I'm a, it's almost like you're going to be in their living room on a squishy, comfy couch um, <laughs> just listening to a story. So Yeah, so we'll out. shut up now because yeah. it's a long podcast anyway, And I, but I think it'll fly by when you're listening to it. So well, grab your favorite enjoy. beer vidge, sit back and relax. <laughs> yeah. And here's Paul. All right, you ready? Ready to roll? Should we play our normal game? No. No, you don't like the you start? No, you start? Okay, welcome. <laughs> you guys do that every time. Yeah, almost. <laughs> Pretty much, no, yeah, because we, we, we don't really plan out the opening, so we end up 
Well, what should we? What do you want to say? What do I want? Yeah. Like, and then half start? the time that ends up on the podcast. Oh, so adorable! <laughs> <laughs> Give us a little character yeah. of how okay. we are. So, I guess. anyhow, <laughs> we're at this is Craftier Travel and Adventure Podcast. Hopefully, you're in the right spot. And we're at the Ale Apothecary with Paul. Paul, what's your last name? Arnie. A R N E Y. Okay, Arnie. and we're at the um, tap room. Um, so it is, you know, not open right now, but it is still a working place. So you'll hear bumps and noises and you know hopefully if connor's doing his job back there right oh yeah yeah. good that's a good sign (laughs) yeah because you'll find out this is a very different kind of brewing brewing process really from what most people think of as a brewery because this isn't just your tap room it's also your barrel aging facility which isn't what everybody out there might be thinking of as barrel aging it's not like oh i got a russian imperial stout and i'm throwing it in a bourbon barrel or something like that you have a whole different take on ale apothecary and and the whole process of how you make beer. Can, can you give people maybe just a taste of what is different about Ale Apothecary and, and just the, I guess the rough cut of what the process is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the, the original goal was to take the, uh, all the, the inspiring elements um, from kind of ancient historical brewers, you know, and, and because we don't have a lot of hard stone call cold hard facts about that i gotta make a lot of stuff up as well um so which I, they probably did too right yeah <laughs> exactly it's not like there was a book or a college course back then no and i think that is probably that you know so like when starting out as a very very small brewery um, with limited funds trying to turn negatives into positives i use the the model of ancient brewers is kind of a uh, a way to to forge my own path right so um starting with the idea of creating a totally natural product you know, we so we've formed relationships with, with local farmers, and we're limiting ourselves on where we get our ingredients from. Um, and additionally, you know, uh, building a brewery uh, from scratch with not a lot of money um, on one hand could be a train wreck. But if you instead look at it more like, well, we get to build in house character um, by creating our own process uh, and taking inspiration again from from different breweries and different processes, um, and then uh, utilize the natural environment around the brewery so we use the yeast that we get from the air the water that comes out of the ground and then for a lot of our beers we will um, use ingredients we can find locally like uh, we've got a few tree beers we uh, make a beer with uh, manzanita flowers that grow up there and then uh, we also harvest uh, blackcurrant for another one Um, and then we bottle condition everything with uh, Oregon honey to kind of complete the idea of making a a natural place-based beer yeah, I mean, everything you do is fairly, I would say, just naturally sustainable because you're just taking what's available and what you can forage from around you. So you may use it this one beer, but the next beer, it may not be there next year or next season or whenever you want to make another beer. You probably can't make the same beers over and over and over, like exactly the same every time. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, to me, that's uh, right. That's a, another way of trying to turn either what could be perceived as a negative into a positive, right? right. So, like, um, I had witnessed how in the wine industry, people would celebrate vintage, vintages mm-hmm. based on their unique qualities from the year before, right? And in the brewing industry, it was typically this uh, this adherence to consistency that the consumer expects. That I kind of had to just, I'm um, not necessarily ignore, but just kind of look at it from a different perspective that uh you know um, and that's one reason that you know 
all of our beer goes into barrels. And it's another reason why uh, we, we name all of our barrels is so um, it's a way to, to say that, you know, each barrel is an individual. And even if we could make the exact same beer in our brewery, which um, we can't from time to time because of how rustic the process is, um, you put that same identical beer into two different barrels and the beer is going to come out with different qualities from impacted from the barrel. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, uh, try, you know, one, one word we came up with is batch vintage, you know, like we're trying to, um, you know, take a, a snapshot in time almost of what, of what we're doing. And, and that's why we batch date our beers. Um, so even our brands that, you know, we make throughout the year, we'll batch date and, um, always are trying to communicate to people that if you have a Saheli from July of 2018 and you have a Saheli from say January of 2016 um, those beers are going to be their own individual things right. they're going to have some qualities that they share with each other but the cool thing to me is because of the season and the time of year um, they're going to exhibit also different characteristics that right because it's going to age differently depending on the weather the temperatures that it's in because you're not you you have no i as far as i could tell i didn't see a, like a glycol system and things like that right that, like control the temperature exactly all the time yep and so even if you took that same beer and reused the barrel mm -hmm. it would probably age a little bit differently each time that you use it yeah I mean, yeah because it would be more similar but Yes, I think you're right about that. I mean, I think, in, you know, to, to kind of talk a little bit more about the glycol system, is that's another very important part is um, uh, I'm trying not to force the beer. Like, and one thing I learned through my career as a brewer is our food industry, you know, not just the beer industry, um, in order to provide all these, uh, all these consumables uh, in an industrial manner, we have ways and things that we do to move the process faster. Um, and that's all well and good for, for these products that uh, we want to buy in commodity in bulk um, and maybe expect consistency. Right. But, you know, for my project, I wanted to remove all the things that um, what I consider as forcing the process. And glycol is a great example because uh, brewers will use uh, cooling the tanks down to have the yeast to accelerate the yeast falling out of solution um you know forced carbonation for packaging is another one and you know there's there's just a whole bunch of those things through the process that uh um, brewers and and like i was saying food producers can use to to speed up the process of of their product and that was one thing i really worked hard to remove um and and to you know to aspire to this natural product right and so i like to think that time um is actually one of our ingredients and is like an ally, right? So a lot of times uh, you can hear, um, you know, at first, maybe what I should say is at first it was this, I felt like I was always battling it. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. it's going to take forever and this and that and the other. And um, now I see it, it's, it just takes time, you know. Um, I went on a tour of a, a balsamic vinegar, uh, a family uh, who was, had been making balsamic vinegar in Italy for, for generations, right? And I remember he gave me a tour and he was telling me that the products that he was making were basically going to be for his... Uh, either for his kids or his grandkids. Like it wasn't going to be ready for 30 or 40 years. Oh, wow. Right. But the way that he talked about it was like, that's the beauty. And that's that, this is our asset. Cause there's no way to get this product without that, that time. Um, right. And of course he had family generations. They had, you know, I, here we are, we're 10 years in. So it's like, I don't have that, uh, that depth of, uh, feeling with that, but it's like, I, I'm trying to take that attitude. It's like, um, 
once we're, you know, because now that we're established and we, we understand our size of our brewery and what we're capable of doing and we're not looking to, to grow, um, we can manage it where we have beer that's ready and we have beer that's not ready and um, we have to wait for, for when it is. I can say, though, that perspective that you've got from time and how you're kind of changing your mindset on that is really echoed in how the rest of your brewery and your lifestyle kind of come together. So I imagine that time thing has kind of poured over a little bit more into like your lifestyle too, thinking of time in that way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little harder when you've got kids and they seem to grow up so fast and um, you have a business in, in the United States and, um, you know, we have to deal with commerce and those kind mm-hmm. of things because those will definitely push up against that. But yeah, when we, when we have the time, uh, I shouldn't say it that way because that's funny. Uh, time. Huh. Uh, but yes, no, it totally is. I mean, the appreciation for it has definitely, um, has definitely, um, spilled over into our lives. Um, it's, uh, it's almost a luxury to have it as part of my business because I'm able to draw these lines maybe in the sand where I can say, well, that's just the way it is where with maybe a family unit with, uh, you know, that's not based on bottom line stuff and, uh, the modern world with kids, it's a little harder, but yes, of course we, uh, we celebrate that as much as we can. (laughs) So like here, your, your tap room is open three days a week, Mm -hmm. right? And is that, has that been a fairly normal thing since you've been operating? You didn't? No, no. Did you plan to be open all week long, every day, kind of go, go, go? Or We, I never, like, so when I first started the brewery, uh, a few things I was uh, focused on was trying to eliminate um, the, the pinch points that I saw that would um, not allow me to keep the brewery small. Right. Like, uh, like, so that's one reason, you know, like before I determined what kind of beer I was making or understood what kind of beer I was making, it was like, I knew we weren't going to be making draft beer, you know, basically I didn't want to have to spend my time or hiring someone going out fighting for tap handle space. That was going to distract me from beer and it was going to create a pull for the brewery to be larger because I would need somebody to, to be doing that, you know, and then you sell beer and draft that's a volume thing. We'd have to make more. So, you know, that was kind of one of the things I was trying to avoid. Um, but there's a lot of those growth governors that I built in early on when I was young and idealistic, right? Um, the brewing process takes very long, right? It takes me three days to go from grinding grain to, to fermentation, which in a, in a normal brewery can take like six hours. So we're, li- you know, I, I built all these limiters in on how much beer we could make right um yeah and so originally there was no plan for a tasting room right it was uh I, because it's like i figured that i was going to be this is the, the early days i never had envisioned having any employees it was i was going to work through um my ale club and distribution so i could stay focused on the beer um and of course uh a lot of the things that i had laid down is like this is how it's going to work um once they i started doing them it's like i mean another thing i was only going to make one beer so i was inspired by revol and it was like you know if i can't house all these different hops that we need to make the modern beer styles and i i don't have a whole lot of space it'll it'll behoove me to minimize how many products i have and it's like you know i I took orval as this example where they make a fantastic beer that's really good and hoppy fresh Mm -hmm. but ages really well you know and it's like oh well i'll do that and so you know for the first I mean, it really was only months where I was like, well, Sahaley's going to be our beer, and that's what we do. And, um, but, you know, quickly I was getting feedback that if I finally made one beer, I was only going to be able to sell one beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that probably wasn't a smart business move. And then plus it really didn't let me do the creative element that I really liked as well. 
Okay. So those things have all changed, but getting to the tasting room, um, we first opened it, uh, it was about three and a half years ago, and the idea was um, if we're not going to be creating more volume by brewing and growing the brewery that way, the tasting room could be this uh, way to grow the bottom line without making more beer, right? We'd be getting right. the retail dollar as opposed to the distribution dollar, the wholesale dollar. Um, and so that's kind of been in my mind, well, you know, that's kind of what this place is, is like it's our, I kind of would hope that it could be almost like a little throttle on your, you know, your outboard motorboat. It's like, well, I think we need to kind of <laughs> get a little more cash in the bank. So let's, you know, let's try and push uh, retail sales a little bit more. Um, and so I think when we first got into it, that was, that was really the focus. And so we, we hired um, staff for that and uh, we are kind of on this uh, path where we were open more. We were open five, five days a week before COVID. We had a tasting room manager and some staff, and we actually had a food truck out here on the patio. And um, and then you know COVID happened, and we didn't know what was going what was going to happen um, long term, big picture. And we had also felt that while it was nice having this place open with the food truck because we were a little bit busier, um, it was also kind of taking my brand and brewing in a, in a different direction that I had really originally intended. Um, and so with, uh, with the COVID coming on, um, and us not knowing about the future and my concern even prior to that about the way that things were kind of going as far as like, you know, people showing up for food, which is great, but not really understanding our beer. I was starting to look into getting a wine license so we could have cider. And then it's just like, it just kind of started to feel like a little bit of a slippery slope, you know, um, because that in a sense, takes me away from focusing on the beer in the brewery when I'm, mm -hmm. you know. So you're almost getting caught up in that machine kind of feeling like. Yes, exactly. Which you were trying to get out of. Yeah. And so, and it's been it's really beneficial to, to reduce it and actually have Stacy and I work here because the value for us being here is, is enormous, you know, like for us to be here and tell our own story, mm -hmm. you know. Do you find more now that I suppose in a way COVID kind of gave you that opportunity to get out there a little bit more or give yeah, you more or time to enjoy maybe. yeah reassess yeah it's been it's that's been a struggle too right it's like understanding that that has been a silver lining of this whole situation for us like for us for me in particular like stacy's so good like she she um she's really only been in a, a quote-unquote paid employee here for um a few years now um and up until that point you know she had another job and um always helped me uh and all that but like for her to be fully invested like this where it's the two of us now talking about the business as opposed to me maybe wandering around storming beating myself up about her just having to listen um i have a partner in all that and uh it's it's been you know with so many people hurting it's hard and especially with this thing being a pandemic that's that's killing people for us to say that it did anything positive it, it, it's a hard that's a hard thing to talk about it is you know is. but i it's will say that bit. it did give us there's a, a silver lining for me to kind of just it really did force us to really get back onto our you know knife edge focus yeah. <laughs> on uh, the niche thing that we're doing but i don't think you're the only one i mean there's a lot of people right now we've talked to uh, quite a few people that you know you one, you have to find a way through this. And mm -hmm. we're all still in the midst of it right now as we're talking. So. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of people that went, I mean, some of it, it was just eye-opening too. Like, you know what? Wow. This came out of nowhere, it felt like. And, yeah. You know, at least in the overall perspective of time. And so people are kind of going, why am I waiting? Why mm -hmm. am I waiting to do that thing that I've always wanted to do? You know, I mean, 
Or why am I, like in your case, maybe you felt like you were starting to run on that mouse wheel a little bit. And it's like, wait a minute. That's not why I wanted to do this. Because yeah. you come from a background. You went, you went to, I believe, UC Davis, right? To, yeah, yeah. To yeah. learn to brew, to, mm-hmm. or to get your brewing degree. But you worked in the big bigs. You were at Deschutes, mm-hmm. which in craft brewing, that's one of the biggest craft brewers in the country. Yeah. And you did the normal crank out 50 barrels of beer kind of thing. And then I remember I read about on your blog that you and Stacy, I believe, then after a while said no. And took a year and a half off and just went traveling, right? Yep, yep, yep. And, but you came back to Deschutes, and it seemed yeah, like, yeah, but got, it seemed like things changed. After it was you very came different back. when we came. So, back. can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? And yeah, like for that sure. Perspective on life. At that yeah, point? I mean, it's um, yeah. So, um, I started at Deschutes in 1996. Basically, we moved to Bend um, two weeks after we got married, and then uh, you know I started my job. So it was like us moving to Bend and my job at Deschutes. And my uh, and our marriage was like, you know, it was like moving. It was a huge chapter, right? It was like mm-hmm. life totally changing, and here we go down this new path. Um, and it was great because uh, at that time, <clears throat> Deschutes was was still fairly small in the in the big picture. I, I got to witness a lot of growth there. Mm-hmm. Um, they had just opened up their production facility, and we, they had a fifty barrel JV Northwest brew house that we were running. Um, and the way that the brewery operated um, was very, I, I want to say mom and pop-ish. It was like it, it had grown from a brew pub into a production facility um, in, in um, uh, process, but there wasn't really an organization. It was still kind of being run like a, a brew pub in a way, right? They, they, we, That's got to be a weird transition to, cause to go from brewing in your back room to this massive facility yeah and it was very manual and uh it was it was also i mean as a brewer right we were responsible for a lot of uh a lot of the quality control which um in larger breweries and in the way that things wanted to shoots too i mean when things get larger you have to have specialized um departments and everybody has to be responsible for certain things and you know you have direct reports and all these this stuff where um I think Deschutes was so successful early on with the beer that was the focus is like we got to make yeah. sure the beer's right and we're going to make the beer and we're going to do the beer and you know the brewers are handling and everything's great um, and so when I decided or when we Stacy and I decided that we were going to leave you know this was like 2002 2003 I've been working there for six years um, you know it was it was a great job and I wasn't leaving because I was dissatisfied. It was just an opportunity that we had to, uh, she and I were both working full-time jobs and didn't have any kids. And, um, a friend of ours had spent a bunch of time in Southeast Asia and we're like, man, you know, I mean, we only live once, so let's start stocking one of our paychecks away. And so we did that for a year and a half. And, and, uh, when I told my brewing compadres that I was leaving they're like you're crazy dude this is the best this is the best job in town this is it and I was like I know but I mean I've done it and I have to do this and it's been great and and we left and within I want to say four months of being gone we were in Thailand and we I was getting information from my my old co-workers and they're just like I mean that's when the uh the sales and marketing and the, the brewing departments were starting to clash because there mm-hmm. wasn't that structure, right? It was, it was very organic growth and it wasn't something that was uh, planned from the top down. Um, and Gary did his, his best. It, it just, uh, I can't imagine 
what it's like to have a business that's so successful and then at one point you're just like whoa what you know like so right. something had to happen and so uh, and it did points in growth that you just have to find a way through right yeah and they did and so a lot of people quit a lot of people got fired um i was very glad to miss all that because i was able to stay on good terms with everybody i didn't have to um stake a flag i was just gone Right, you know, yeah, yeah you guys were up around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we spent a lot of time. Yeah, we did, we we did a lot of stuff. It was great, um, and uh, obviously it changed me as a person, you know. But we had a house here in Bend, uh, and we were renting that out to some friends. So of course we came back, and uh, we had a we had before a, you come back. Yeah, yeah. Could you switch like a little bit from Paul the Brewer to Paul the Traveler? Oh, and, like, sure. Just yeah. Talk a little bit about some of your favorite high points and highlights of traveling. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. In a way, like you had mentioned too before that like you said, has impacted you and how you brew and your tap room and all of the way that you can live. Thank you. Now. Yes. Yeah. I figure, you know, forget because it's like, I do try to silo my life sometimes and it's, 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 I'm, I appreciate that you want to know those things too. Cause <laughs> no, I sometimes mean, uh, people are more apt about the beer. <laughs> so like you mentioned Southeast Asia, I mean, mm-hmm. how, I, and I believe you had mentioned on your blog that you traveled a lot of other places as well, but how did some of those travels affect you guys just in general, not just your brewing life, but like in general, how did the travel, like that what just, kinds of things did I you see? I just want to hear about his travel adventures. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. You want to look like Gary that sweet through that since uh, we're not going there right now. So yeah. Well, we, we might uh, have to wait. We, yeah, <laughs> we started by driving the Alcan up to uh, um, Alaska. So Stacy's from oh. Alaska. And so we drove the Alcan up there and um, our uh, we, we flew from there over to, to Europe and spent a month month and a half traveling around there and uh it was my first time to belgium right so that was oh, that wow. was a pretty big deal um well that was a beer tour right that's still on it was list. i mean it was it wasn't as much as i mean because kind of it kind of, of course there was some beer stuff in there of course. um we went and visited Reval, but we we missed Cantillon that time. Like I have been to Cantillon, but that first time I, we didn't go to Brussels. Um, and, uh, but I think the, the big takeaway, um, I think before I maybe get into specifics about the traveling, just to, um, is understanding outside, you know, getting outside of the country was, was huge for me because, um, I struggled a lot, a lot, I think with, with how our country operates and just thinking, I mean, I'm not without a different perspective. Um, being a little confused about uh, certain things, especially like uh, happiness and money, those kind of things. And, you know, um, getting to other parts of the world and then especially getting to Southeast Asia where um, so many people have literally nothing um, and realizing that they are actually quite happy mm-hmm. was, I think, eye-opening. I mean, it was, was mind-blowing, you know, because of the way that we kind of look at those things in our country and, and what our our minimum standards are and um how people get stressed out and over what and um so it was yeah it was very very important (laughs) i was like i mean we spent um seven to eight months in southeast asia traveling around and um had some really really personal experiences that transcended being a tourist which were because that was another thing is like sometimes being a tourist felt uh was a little challenging as well Mm -hmm. right showing up with uh basically to what um, the locals might see is like an endless supply of money. We could right. basically do whatever we wanted. But um, you were traveling for an extended amount of time too, mm-hmm. right? So you did you go into it with thinking 
like planning we don't want to just be a tourist we want to go experience the local or yeah. or was it just kind of a natural thing that happened because you were on the road for a long time it's like you can't be in tourist mode all the time for a year and a half i don't think well i mean i think Maybe if we would have been i think if we would have been more uh i think we've talked about this too is like if uh, if we were to do something like that again, I think us maybe joining the Peace Corps or having like a specific project to be part of mm-hmm. um, would help remove you, remove us from that that tourist mindset. I think for us, the the one of the the best experiences we had is in Cambodia. There's this a uh, this old train, a, a narrow gauge train that was put in by the French um, in the colonial days, and um, it still runs. Uh, that doesn't really have a schedule and we'd heard about this and people were like oh if you can get on the, to this train it's just such a cool way to see the country and um we had been staying with these uh with these guys in a town called campote and they had you know they were running their little tourist business and we got on really great with them and they showed us around and um we had really enjoyed our time with them and um said goodbye and left well then we we found a way to get onto this train and this train was nuts like it was like totally decrepit there was holes in the floor and but they still did run it and you could you know people are sitting on the roof and i mean it just was there were no rules at all it was really insane um but just because we chose to go do this the train goes back through that town of campo and because those guys uh their only financial uh the only way that they could make money was to they you know anytime tourists come into the town there you know if it's a if it's a little truck with 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 uh, people from out of town they're going to go and try and push their guest house and so when the train comes by of course they came out and you know if there's any foreigners on the train they're trying to get them to come to their guest house well here we're on the train we'd already been there and you know um, in in as a as a traveler as a tourist traveler people aren't going back right they they might see mm-hmm. people but it's only this one time as they're passing through and so for us to come back after having a really good experience with them they welcomed us back like uh, like family. It was crazy. They really? saw us and they're just like, "Oh my gosh!" And it just was this. Uh, it was really, really amazing because uh, we got welcomed back as as like family. And that was kind of a turning point. Maybe? Oh gosh, like, yeah. You for recognize? Sure. Did you recognize that as a turning point then, or just yes, kind of looking yeah? Back? Because we were sitting around. They, <laughs> they, uh, they, you know, I mean, it just I. I'm, we're so distant from it now. It's it's hard to remember the mm-hmm. the impact of the poverty. But we um, we were sitting around one night and we you know we had bought uh, this whiskey and this coke, and we you know basically they were like we're gonna make small party and just they poured it into a a pot and we just were scooping. <laughs> okay, the, his uh, hands are like out like really. <laughs> Big. <laughs> yeah. Big pot of rum and, or, uh, Coke and whiskey. Coke nice. and whiskey, <laughs> just scooping it out and talking. And, and one of the guys um, knew enough English where I could actually kind of ask him or tell him that the guilt that I kind of carried around. I mean, of course, I was raised Catholic, so it's like I'm, I have a penchant for, for guilt. <laughs> but it was like he had enough knowledge of English where I could be like, you know, just it's hard for me to uh, to be in this space where it just feels awkward, right? Um, yeah. And and uh, he's like, you know, and then because these these guys are Buddhists, um, they believe in totality about reincarnation. And he's like, I'm telling you, man, if when I come back and I've got a better life, I'm not going to waste any of it feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to take that opportunity and run with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a cool perspective, you know, because it, it wasn't yeah. about. Um, you know, dissing on anybody or right. or stepping on anybody was about you have this opportunity, um, and what what can you do with it? You know, and so that was a huge turning point. 
I appreciate. I, that's, that's a pretty cool experience because I mean I know our we've traveled outside mm-hmm. the country as well a, a decent amount and but both inside the country and out it's um, it's just amazing people just never cease to amaze me and overwhelm me whenever I mean that's yeah. pretty much what makes all our travels I think yeah and, right I love great beer and I love mountain biking and all the stuff we do but even great beer means nothing if you don't have somebody to share it with. It's, it's like, true, yeah. If I'm sitting there drinking a great beer by myself, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, well, sitting we, here talking yeah. is another well, is we thing. Well, we actually know? did I mean, this Bucket List Brewery podcast. We were just talking about, like, you know, what you call Bucket List Breweries. Yeah. And um, I understand it, and I know he really, like, struggles with the term bucket list because, really, is there something that you absolutely have to do before you die or you're going to be like devastated by it yeah yeah like really yeah so no so like in the scheme of things and you were going there i think too with your travel tales and like in belgium and stuff too it's like you want to go to these places and if if are you really honestly traveling to one you know place that's six thousand miles away just for a brewery most times no you're going to these places to experience the places and the people and the culture Mm -hmm. and the beer just happens to be there and happens to kind of follow yes and that was the same thing as like with all the time that we've traveled and stuff like that it's just like yeah you're gonna find the beer but you're not going there for no no exactly i mean when we went to orval when we took that trip to belgium like orval is in this uh um it's like in the most inconvenient place in belgium (laughs) if you wanted to just but i was dead set on because you know it was just very meant a lot to me and um, we got there and uh, we were staying in the little hostel across the street and uh you gonna be it. yes, please do. Well, Stacy Arnie, Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit. Oh, okay. Stacy's gonna input. What, okay, what now? Yeah. Oh, so oh my gosh, so now you have SARS there. So SARS was going COVID on. Here. Oh geez. The war started, right? Um, Afghan uh-huh. Afghanistan war started, and George Bush was elected. So all that was going on. So there was no Americans traveling. I think oh, that was wow. the other very uh, special piece, is because we were Americans and they are so used to having these tourists and mm-hmm. now their economy has gone because of health and crisis and all this. And so I think that's, we got a little extra attention mm-hmm. because of that. And so got brought in a little more. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And because I of, the, that cause of the pandemic now. Yeah. And because, you know, the, the, um, people had said, you know, Oh, you guys should take, uh, Canadian flags and put those on your backpack. And, you know, because oh, yeah. of the Iraq thing going on and oh. don't, you know, don't make a big deal. It'll make people mad or people get frustrated. And um, we did bring patches, but we never actually made that claim. And what was so cool was that expectation that people would look at us as Americans and be angry didn't happen. It was more like people looked at us and were like, well, now you know how most of the other countries work. Like we, our leaders are, are crap heads too, and they do right. stupid right. things. And They could separate you know, leadership from... From people. From people. From the regular person. Yeah. yeah. So we're all we just are not George for, Bush, right? We right. are not George Bush. We're we just were still Paul Stacy, and so. And that was yeah. really cool. Yeah, I think most of us realize our government doesn't define who we are as people right. on a one-to-one basis. It's like, I think how you express yourself to each other means a heck of a lot more than maybe how you voted in an election or something, mm-hmm. you know? I totally. Mean, whatever. Um, I could talk travel and stuff forever too. So, but I suppose since we're kind of well, it's a craft beer travel adventure. Mm-hmm. But since you have beer lined up here mm-hmm. for all the people who are listening, haha. Um, maybe we can talk <laughs> a little bit about sure that. Um, what we'll do here first is open a can of our AP one thousand and one. Nice. And this is our second. Um, 
we we trained. He just did that very well. We didn't like. I feel like we trained him well or something. You did. I'm a very good listener, I, and I'm pretty sure Paul's been pouring beer for quite a while. But not not in, not into microphones. Oh, well, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. It's nice to meet you guys. Nice to you meet too. you. Um, so, yeah, so the AP 1001 is our second um, canned product. The first one was the AP 1000, and they're both named after this artwork that my friend Chris Cole did. Um, okay. So he did the artwork for the can, and that kind of led to the name. Um, I think the machine that he used for the uh, for the artwork is called the AP1000, and because it's so iconic to me, uh, I just use the same imagery, and we're just going to have the AP1000 series, 1001, 1002, that kind of thing. Um, but the beer itself is a raw beer brewed with uh, sca uh, um, Scandinavian kvike yeast, so it's um, not boiled. We use some yarrow in it, and uh, we dry hopped it, and then can condition it with honey. And so the uh, the aroma is going to be mainly from that uh, kvike. It's really fruity, um, and then uh, on the flavor, you're going to get a little bit of this herbal um, bitterness from the yarrow. Um, but for us, it's like it's a way that we can um, celebrate these. Uh, larger brewing traditions, right? Like um, the Scandinavian brewing heritage is, is something that's really important. It's kind of, I don't want to say hot right now, but thankfully people are paying attention, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Lars Marius, I don't know if you know Lars blog. But, um, yeah, he is, uh, he's, he's actually an IT guy, but in all his spare time, he goes and researches the history of uh, farmhouse yeast and, and brewing techniques in okay. Scandinavia. And it's mm -hmm. fascinating because without his work, um, we wouldn't know a lot. Right. And so I traveled over there a few years ago and, uh, and, and went to the traditional Norwegian Brewers Fest and learned about how they've been making beer. And the most crazy thing about it is this yeast, and they call their yeast kvike, which means quick. Okay. And um, they have been domesticating yeast for hundreds of years. And each little wow. area has their own. And, of course, throughout recent history we've lost a lot and that's why this is so important this documentation and trying to celebrate it and preserve this but they have this yeast strain that ferments hot without any off flavors and their traditional process they will make a beer on one day and they'll be drinking it in less than a week wow. because it has no off flavors and because it ferments warm um and because you know they don't boil it uh that adds to this you know you need to drink it quick it's 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 a, right, it's a it'll... fairly unstable product mm -hmm. um but the way that they manage it right they you know here in the you know here i am coming from uh industrial brewing world um and yeast is something that brewers fixate on like you know is it getting enough oxygen how do we yeast enough yeast nutrient and we got to make sure we only use it for so many generations and always the stress about the yeast and is it performing and blah and uh here I go to Norway, and these guys are managing yeast in these totally unsanitary conditions <laughs> for hundreds of years, and the yeast, it's, it performs amazing, right? It's like they're not using laboratory techniques, and it's like – and that to me is like it's like there's been this goal of like mine to like find I, – I inherently as a brewer believe that these things were out there, right? It's like right. how do we get to this point, you know, before – the industrial revolution like it's like kind of like we just don't yeah. even know and this is like a window back in there and so here i am blabbing about it but i just love it it's like it's it, it's my way of like celebrating this um this tradition and hoping to bring some awareness to it and then putting our little tweak on it so it's not a 
this is not intended to be a traditional you know norwegian mm-hmm. sati beer right it does have some shared characteristics but um it's meant to celebrate it and, and hopefully bring a little bit of awareness to it yeah well you shouldn't so. you don't want to repeat something that someone else has already done like you want to yeah, and like I don't want to appropriate, right? I don't want to appropriate their culture either, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you add your piece to it. You add your character to mm-hmm. it and, like, who you are. Exactly. Would a traditional sati have this much tartness to it? No. Okay, no. So it, that comes from your house culture? Then, yep, exactly, and, and barrel aging. Okay. Right, so um, when uh, I got this yeast from um, uh, Mika Leighton, Leightonen, apologize about not being able to pronounce that <laughs> but he's a scandinavian um uh, finnish brewer who is uh he's he writes books about this and uh he came over to do a, a traditional sati with me up in my brew house oh, cool. and so we brewed it up there he brought over the the toasted rye malt that they use it's characteristic and then he was also open to us using um our native tree because we didn't have the juniper that they use in there so we okay. use some fur but we made the beer uh on a saturday and then we served it the following week at belmont station in portland for the craft brewers conference you wow. know and so it was just such a cool experience right on on the first just to be able to be participate in that but what i got out of that whole deal other than this amazing experience was the yeast right <laughs> he brought over the yeast and he cast a spell and um, you know, it was really awesome and so and you know he obviously told me how to how to manage it and so we've been managing it in our brewery and and drying it and and storing it in the freezer and wow. pulling it out and i mean it's just been it's been so fascinating and so now if you manage it properly you can you can keep that going pretty much indefinitely i hope so yeah because one thing that we've learned uh so um Brewers will talk often about, like, you can only use a yeast so many generations before it starts to mutate. And we have our own house culture that we're using. And um, I've been concerned about that as well. Like some, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm just such an isolated single operation, right? It's like mm-hmm. I don't have the ability to, to order really more yeast. And, um, right. in, in, you know, these brewers, um, one thing that I noticed is, you know, they dry their yeast so it ends up in chips and anytime they get together, they'll be bringing their yeast and, you know, like if you guys are from a different area, we'll be trading our yeast mm. and you'll mix them together and so they'll be basically taking each other's yeast and mixing them together and that will um, keep the yeast from going bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I've started employing that in our brewery where we'll, we'll, every pitch is made up of different harvests from different batches, right? As, okay. a, as a way to kind of combat the, the you know, if it's so working for them, right? I'm just like, it should work We're somewhat trying to control the mutation a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that it's going to change by doing that, but it's going to change more, hopefully, how you want it to, right? Well, or how, I think for or me, it's more just, as long way. as it stays healthy, Okay. Right, you know, it's like it's to me. It's about um, making sure the yeast is 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 healthy and is, you know, I don't want to say doing what it wants. I mean, it doesn't really have that kind of cerebral capacity, but it's like <laughs> in it, 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 it's in its happy place, you know. And that's what oh, I learned yeah. from those guys is by combining different yeast harvested from different brews mm-hmm. keeps the yeast happier. It's just amazing that the experiences you can have because of beer. Because like that, just yep. that you uh, you become friends with this with this man from from Finland, you know, yeah, from Finland, yep. and you're sharing ingredients and mm-hmm. and experiences. 
I think that's the big thing again. Is it's still it's such. I mean, he probably loved coming up to your brewery. Oh, they did. They had so much fun. Um, and actually, uh, just to, if you guys aren't aware, we have a YouTube page and, uh, when we went over for this, my brother's a videographer and we, we documented the, oh, okay. the whole, the whole trip. And I, we did a collaboration brew with Lindheim and another one with Icoteed before we went to the, cool. the fest. Oh, and so cool. like, it's a, it's kind of, I mean, it's right up your guys alley, right? It's a yeah, sure. travel, travel log focused on collaboration brews, but culminating at this old world beer festival that's cool know. we'll put that that's in really the cool. show notes your youtube yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that'll be great because yeah. actually what i'm you know that whole point was trying to raise money for this this tiny little beer fest because mm-hmm. it's so funny because yeah it was so it was very alien right so mm-hmm. i'm used to to the way that beer festivals work i you know it just you know i just this is the way that i know beer festivals well we showed up for this one and um the first part of the day, it's all the home brewers, the farmer brewers, um, and they're not allowed to charge for their product because it's, they're not commercial, right. right? And But this is the focus of the fest. That evening part with all the commercial brewers that you pay for and you go and drink their beer, the only reason they do that is to, to fund these home brewers being there to talk about their process and their beer and to share their yeast, you know? So it was just like, whoa. You know, that's a pretty cool concept. Yeah, I'd rather know, do that kind of brew fest. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I highly recommend it. It's awesome. That's well, and that kind of goes back to that mentality you were talking about getting outside the country and seeing what people value that makes them happy. You know, like here we put a lot of emphasis on in the United States on money. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know. It feels like it's changing a little bit, but I hope it's changing a little bit. But mm. You know, you see differences around the world where, especially like you said, in Southeast Asia and places where there may be some countries that don't have a lot of money, a lot of a big economy, you find a different way to be happy because that's what we're all looking for is to be happy and to be loved and to love each other. And those things can transcend, you know, the conditions you're in, I Mm -hmm. guess. I feel I like totally we should break into, break into song. But, sorry, I know. Like, no, that's great. I mean, it, I, uh, yeah. this is, this, my brewery is very metaphysical for sure. Like a lot of the, um, I, I really feel that, um, sometimes, you know, this whole thing was, um, there was no, it, it feels like this, it feels magical sometimes, right? Because it started out as an idea in my head. Um, and with work, it's become this thing that I can now touch and other people can experience, which is just like, it's crazy, you know, because, uh, I've been able to, um, you know, through my efforts and the fact that, um, you know, uh, the, um, it's not like I come from wealth, but being a white male with a family that has had um, some generations of buying houses and, you know, with this social awareness thing with the Black Lives Matter movement, right. I'm realizing that not everybody can say, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna take my 401k and go spend it and start a brewery. Um, right. And so I, I don't take that for granted, but the fact that I, I chose to drive so much intention because I was... Um, that's just the way that I'm built. Like I, I'm not in this for the money. I wanted to um, create a lifestyle that worked for my wife and I, and and something I could feel proud of, um, and to be able to drive that much intention into things. So when you guys show up, um, you it's apparent to you, right? It's like uh, it makes me, it gives me chills because it's just like that's just crazy. The like, second you walk in the door, <clears throat> that's like that's yeah. you can yeah, feel that intention that so and that like 
the, I mean, the second we walked in the door here, we're like, yep, this is the place we like. This is the place we want to be. <laughs> yeah, and we never tried the beer before or anything, so... It, that... Yeah. Right, yeah. So, and, 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 and to follow up on that, that experience you guys had, if... If that could be everybody's experience, that would probably make me the happiest, right? Like because like when uh, I think we were talking before, like when you're traveling, um, you could have an itinerary for everything. You mm-hmm. could have everything lined out, and you you know if you miss your train and then everything's messed up, um, or you could go at it in a way where uh, it's a little more freeform and you're open to the the blowing of the wind a little bit. Uh, but more importantly, you're you, know, you get to talk to people and meet people and you get recommendations and. Um, if people can find my brewery that way, walking in the door, not having a clue what they're getting into, that just, I mean, that's the best. Yeah. Because then it's just like, yeah, you get to make up your own idea about it and how it all how it all happens. And that type of brewery seeking out things and also like just traveling in general is not easy to do that. It's not, it's kind of weird because it's not easy to be this carefree person when you're doing all this. It's true. You do sometimes have to work at that, have to work at like, Okay, I missed my train. You're either going to choose to be pissed off <laughs> or you're going to choose to be like, all right, I'm going to go with this. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to make that choice to do that. And it's not an always easy choice, but if you can just let it go and go with it, you come across some of the best experiences that you never knew you were going to have. Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, there's definitely some stresses added on your yeah. life when those things happen. But yeah, it's a lot of happy accidents, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I would imagine you're Bob Ross. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you, I suppose in a way, like that's what your beer is about too, though. I mean, like you, you have some control over it, but you also don't. And that is a beauty. And I've, and you know, so uh, to tie that further in with the travel and the beer is I often will tell people that uh, we really try not to blend, right? So for a lot of sour beer producers, um, lambic producers, right? Blending is essential. Like it's this, you, you have a blender, you, everybody's like, you know, this person's a master blender, his palate's great. We, or her palate's great. We, um, you know, and that just is a step in the process, right? You, you make the beer, you age the beer, blend the beer, package it and off it goes. And I really wanted to avoid the blending because that is like me choosing the destination, right? It's like, this is where we're going, Mother Nature. I want us to end up over there. And that totally does not fit with who I am or like this what we're exactly what we're talking about. How can we have these happy accidents and find these places if I'm before we even really leave, I'm staking a flag and saying, Well, we're gonna blend and this is where the beer's gonna be. Right. So that is a huge component here is I'm really we're trying to make this batch vintage batch beer where it's uh, you know, so we can reach those places that mm-hmm. I'm not aware of, right? It's like trying to remove my the human element from that final stage that after we get it rolling, right, with all yeah. this nuance and mother nature for me to step in and be like, you know what, actually, I want it to taste different is kind of not what I'm after. Right. You get to guide it and you get to do the things like, okay, am I going to throw pine needles in this? Mm-hmm. Or, and I know you've done this. You're like, am I going to cut down this tree? And then am I going to run the beer through the trough of, cut a trough out in the trunk of the tree and run it through there? Right. Again, thank you, Scandinavia. <laughs> Good job though. Okay. I want to hear the story of the tree. But Oh yeah. Yeah. Because Stacy was talking yeah, about yeah. that. But you're still not finalizing that beer's destination you're giving it some character some guidance Mm -hmm. but it's still going to do what it wants to do at the end so but 
since April really wants to talk about the tree, yeah, we yes. better talk about the tree because yeah, that was a big thing with Stacy. She met, she made a point of mentioning the tree, and it was the biggest think she marketing thing I'd initially. ever did. No, she wasn't really <laughs> on board. No, but you know, yeah. So um, early on in the first, well, it was the first, well, the first year of my brewery. I, what I, I discovered was it was really hard to talk about what it. People are like, well, tell me about your brewery, you know. And I had no elevator speech. I had. It got very confusing, and people would just at some point be like, "Okay, okay, you make farmhouse beer," and I was like, "Well, I kind of, kind of. I don't. Ha- we don't have a farm up in the woods. That that didn't sit super well with me. Where now, you know, of course, we have a farmhouse beer. That that's what I call it. You know, right. it's just like now I'm okay with calling our beer sour beers. There's some things that I've learned to to live with, but um, early on, I, I just found it challenging to talk about the brewery in a way to make it understandable." And uh, the first uh, time I learned about, or going back to Scandinavia, I learned about these Scandinavian brewers was um, when I, I found out that they, uh, historically, prior to the Industrial Revolution, would um, use uh, hollowed out trees as a louder tongue. Okay. Right? So it was like, you know, and trying to find information on brewing practices prior to the Industrial Revolution was fairly difficult. And finding this one was, was kind of eye-opening because... These brewers were in a similar ecosystem, right? It was like uh, mountains, subalpine in a way, and the trees were just it just it just kind of even though they a lot of theirs were farms, this whole idea of using using a tree just was super resonant with me because our brewery is surrounded by trees, and spruce is a I guess I call it a, a heritage ingredient for American brewers. Like we've made Ameri- uh, spruce beers for. A long time and so uh when i found out that this was a process right a i was looking for historical brewing techniques that i could borrow anyway because right. i was poor and couldn't afford to buy a <laughs> super new brew house and I, I didn't want to i wanted to have unique processes and when i found out oh my gosh these guys they haul out a tree and use it a lot of time by filling it up with uh, branches it's like that is so cool and so the idea was to do this and kind of make it a spectacle because it would tell a lot about our brewery without me having to just try and define it for people, right? It's like you hear about right. a brewer cutting down a tree to make beer out of. It's it's got kind of legs of its own, right? People yeah, it's can, very symbolic of your overarching theme of all your beer because yes. you're going so natural ingredients. I mean that it just says it right there. And natural processes wrapped into one. Yeah, and I mean that tree came. Right down the hill from the brewery, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we had a um, we had a little party. We had some of our Aero Club members come over, and uh, my friend who was really good with a chainsaw, and we you know <laughs> we got a keg of beer from Deschutes, I think, and um, it was kind of lightly raining, and we took the tree down, and um, yeah, the, the the thing with Stacy was like we've got like so. I, we bought this piece of property. It's it's on the hill up above the creek, and there's this uh, uh, rock outcrop called Cougar Butte that you can kind of see through the trees. And there was this one tree that was kind of like in the way. And I, I had joked about, man, you know, we should cut that tree down and see that rock better. And she's like, what are you talking about? That's like a 200-year-old tree. You're going to just cut it down so you can see the mountain. And um, Fire mitigation. Right, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of angles, right? Luckily, you know, when I told her about the, the, the beer thing, she was cool with it and um, – yeah, no, it's more of a joke than anything now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we cut the tree down and, and we made beer out of it. And it uh, really was the best marketing 
move that I ever did because if anybody knows anything about my brewery, um, they a lot of times they're like, oh, you're that guy that makes beer in the tree, you know. And here it is, it's something that I it stole from another brewing culture. Um, and uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, went to Italy for this beer fest, and it's like to have Italians know that I cut down a tree and made beer out of it. It's just like, what? This world is crazy. This beer world is nuts. You know, it traveled that far, you know. That's, That's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That's got to be pretty cool. Okay, as we wind things down a little bit, you still have another beer here. Yes, so uh, the other one is uh, our barley wine. Oh, yum. Yes, and so uh, this is uh, very atypical because it's, Barley wine is a style, mm-hmm. right? And so I've been pretty adamant about not brewing beers to style um, for a couple of reasons. One is um, that isn't the intention of this place. Like I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to tell something. I don't want to give. I don't want to falsely advertise what I'm doing either, right? I don't want people to walk in thinking, "Oh, this is a pale ale," and and then be like, "This is, has a, no, this is not a pale ale," right? And right, instead you call of, everything kind of wild ales, right? Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. That, covers the ground you know you know yeah they all are wild ales um and so the but you know there is also the the challenge of trying to make a traditional beer style within the the limitations of my brewery as well and so that was a lot of fun um can we make a barley wine with our wild fermentation process you know and so with this uh we uh barrel age it for less time um which would uh prevent it from getting too acidic mm-hmm. uh we used uh, a concentrated wort like we boiled some wort down for the bottle conditioning as opposed to using honey to add more maltiness to it and then it was just kind of making sure the beer was stable enough to go into the bottle so we didn't have excessive fermentation and, and bottle bombs right because barley wine's a big beer so yeah there's a lot of uh opportunity there is yes <laughs> for yeast to go nuts there is so you asked a question if you could make a barley wine the way that you usually brew beer. yeah yeah um the answer is yes <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's very good yeah i think what i really like about it is um it has all that barley wine up front mm-hmm. but it's not um it's not cloyingly sweet like it's it's right. it, it finishes fairly dry is that um from the lacto and stuff that you use in your process the wild yeast yeah the wild yeast and Mm -hmm. so it kind of yeah i guess maybe kind of dries it out on the end yeah so uh traditional brewer's yeast um has a hard time consuming um so like uh right we're start when in the brewing um process you start with starch Mm -hmm. and during the mashing process that starch is converted down into sugars but those sugar molecules some of them are larger than others you know they're like uh, you know glucose molecule um, and brews use can i think consume up to like three of them combined right Um, but you get larger than that and they they turn into these um, unfermentables that add body to beer uh, but for when you're using wild yeast, wild yeast has an enzyme that can break over time, break those off into consumable sugars. Oh, wow. So that's why the barrel aging is so important for us. Um, in addition to creating character, the wild yeast is also drying the beer out and finishing the fermentation. It just takes a really long time. And so when you put something that doesn't spend as much time in the barrel in the bottle with wild yeast, you could end up with a situation where over time the beer gets very, very carbonated because that wild yeast keeps Still working on it. You know, and so that's that's something we've been learning a lot about. But um, we're doing it again with the Black is Beautiful collaboration project that we've got going on. That's an imperial stout that was made by Deschutes Brewery that we're barrel aging with our mixed culture. But um, after doing this, like this kind of shows me that um, if we're paying attention, 
we've got some benchmarks to look at. We can probably do this with uh, with other beers as well. So um, I would like to touch on that just one second mm -hmm. before we go. Um, the Black is Beautiful project. That's something that we've we've talked to um, a few brewers about, and we were luckily able to talk to Marcus from um, Oh Nice Souls as part of a roundtable podcast we had, which was really fun because there were several. I say fun's fun, wrong, but word. that's probably not the accurate word for because it's a pretty heavy, Topic. pretty heavy sub yes, subject. Yes, but, it is. Um, we had six or seven other brewers on with Marcus that were participating. So it was it was interesting to get the perspectives because we had such a diverse group of people. Thankfully, from Debbie from Jester King helped us arrange such a wonderful lineup of people. But um, what kind of drew you into that project? And and because I know I see you have committed to the project here much more than just doing the beer. You have different fundraiser things going on and different awareness things, uh, pieces that you're working on here at the brewery. But what kind of drew you into that project? Well, I think it's uh, something that I've been personally interested in for a long time, the social injustice, right? I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by how our, our country's history has this, uh, a couple things that I think we need to um, step back and really take uh ownership of right it's the uh it's the taking of the lands of the native americans the way that we did um and then it's uh the forced labor of, of black people i mean just those two things are are ginormous as far as where our, our history of our country and you know so it's always been something that um i've been interested in and uh often i feel quite powerless as to what to do right um i live in a town that is fairly wealthy and mostly white you know and um we're happy with our lives here, and, and I don't think, we're, you know, going back to uh, um, that conversation I had with Eddie in Cambodia, it's like for me just to pick up and, and leave and move to a place that's more depressed so I can be part of a community to, you know, that just doesn't fit with with uh, with what I'm capable of doing. Um, so having this opportunity, right, that Marcus provided is just like, I'm so grateful because it's it's it gave us an opportunity to participate in a way that feels genuine. Mm -hmm. um, it, it it gave us an opportunity to feel like we're part of something without feel like we're uh, you know um, useless or pandering. You know, um, so I think just the opportunity was uh, was it was a great way to to bring people together. You know, part of Marcus's approach to that project mm -hmm. isn't just making a collaboration beer and like, oh great, we all came together and made this great beer and raised some money. It's to try and make a commitment to thinking about it mm -hmm. and taking action um, just in, I think, progressing from where we're at now to where we can be as just as a country and as a people, you know? Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that you guys brought it up and you're talking about it because it is something that it's fascinating. You know, I made a point of putting the barrel out here with the beer in it, with the black is beautiful mm -hmm. on it. And, uh, it's kind of amazing how many people, um, don't say anything. Yeah. Right. It's very easy to just move through life and, and you know, it's, it's uncomfortable and it is and I was gonna a, say I think it's some a people, very tough topic yeah well some people you know. I think are just af afraid of broaching the subject because they're not sure how to talk about it or if they're gonna say something wrong or right. shut yep. down or, yep. so I well, think the biggest thing is just you know just talk about it and I would say that since I mean we when we talked to Marcus and the other brewers that was probably a couple months ago from before this interview 
and I have in my own head since then struggled with, okay, what more can we do? Mm-hmm. Because I, I it, and whatever anybody else thinks, it's important to me. So I want to keep it going too. So, well, I appreciate that there, there are a lot of people taking part, but, and I think it really fits the culture that you have around Hale Apothecary too. Oh, thank you. Cause thank you're, you. you have such a genuine feel here. It just, I don't know. I feel like you're like, as soon as you walk in the door, it feels like you're amongst friends and stuff. And, oh, and man, just, thanks. It's a beautiful space. And the beer is something very different. And, you know, that's, I think that's saying a lot because we have visited Jester King and we visited Ale Song. And, mm-hmm. and we've been to some very good mixed culture brewers and stuff like that. But you are still, you have carved a pretty unique little niche. Oh, great. Here. Even in that space. Thank you. You have a pretty unique approach to everything. That makes me super happy. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, unless you have anything else to say or add or... Um, not really. We could, we covered some good ground here. That's good one. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for um, the effort and showing up and bringing, you know, no. your, your uh, you know, your willingness to just, like, accept us for who we are, right? Not putting any, you know, just walking <laughs> in the door and being like, okay, we're going to just see what this place is all about, you know? So I, I really yeah. appreciate that. It's making me think that... Because we really, honestly, don't know really where we're going after Bend. And so it's making <laughs> me think true. that we should just get in the car and just drive. Because we kind yeah. of plan, but we really don't. Yeah. So now the way you're talking about how everything just kind of happens, just let it happen organically and just get in the car and just drive south. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I <laughs> wish I was going with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a 20-foot a RV. 24-foot RV. Stacy, got a little. I'm room. leaving. <laughs> Especially when we open the slide out up, no, it's actually no, pretty roomy. No, no, we need, we need him here. He needs to be doing. That's, that's true. right. Actually, this is the this worst week beer. for me to leave. And, and <laughs> yeah, you got your ale, your got ale, ale club, club members yeah. coming in. So and, and how's this for cheesy and transitioning too? Okay. We need him here because we need him for the art over industry. Oh, thank oh. you. Hey, wait a minute. Right? Cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> I don't want to go back to Bend now. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed our time there and definitely will be going back. Unfortunately, shut down now. Should I say that or not? Uh, you can say what you want. <laughs> it did shut down. I think they're starting to kind of think... open them back up a little bit. I think they, I think they kind of weathered their latest shutdown a little bit. Okay. And a lot of places in Oregon, I think have been able to kind of, open back up a little bit. Well, all I'm going to say on that too is like, I think I have a a little disclaimer on the bottom of all of our blog posts too, is like, just do your, (laughs) you know, best to double check before you go. Don't completely trust Google anymore with their hours. Always call ahead of time because you never know because things are so weird. Um, They're unprecedented. Oh God, I hate that. Why do you have to say that? (laughs) (laughs) But anyhow, well, this was an unprecedented, can I like that word? I want to really try to like that (laughs) word. This was an unprecedented podcast. I loved it. It was great. It was a great podcast. Um, I thought it was really interesting because it really, the way Paul and Stacy's life have together has developed has been kind of interesting how it came full circle. Cause like Paul working at Deschutes was pretty cool, you know, but he was there his first, he's actually, he was actually there twice. And I don't remember if he said that in the podcast, but he was there, um, at a time when Deschutes was growing, when Black Butte Porter took off, for those of you that remember back in the 90s and stuff, when that was like one of the de facto craft beers, and it's still a staple today. But Deschutes grew into like a production brewery for a minute, 
and they're still there they are one of the biggest craft brewers in the world now but it's funny because they had some growing pains and stuff and paul was there for some of that and then he and stacy decided to travel and i mean that that really i think i don't know if paul said it as much but i i feel like it kind of helped him and Stacy probably forged their path where they wanted to be because he came back and went back to work at Deschutes, missed a lot of the political drama during Deschutes' growing pains. Yeah, you and didn't then that. Um, he got to come back to Deschutes at a point where they kind of rediscovered their craft roots instead of getting bigger, 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 bigger craft and going into like a macro market they did that, but then they shrunk it back down and became kind of a craft brewer again too. And so he got to develop a lot of really cool, funky beers that they became creative. And, and if you go to the Deschutes tap room now, it's, there are a lot of really crazy, cool off the hook beers. There sour beers. There's all kinds of barrel aged beers. Some of that you get out there, but it's just a really cool place. And he had a lot, a big hand in that with obviously with a lot of other people, but, um, that and the travel that they did, I think, kind of led to what Ale Apothecary is because the beer is really cool, but you can see where it's there. It's Paul and Stacy's approach to life and travel and everything kind of wrapped into all that because he talked about how time, he talked a lot about time and how time is an ally and how he at times got caught up in the the business thing and went, wait a minute, this isn't what I want to do. And so he's constantly checking himself and saying, Hey, I don't want this to be a machine. I want this to be something really cool. And he's taken that approach to his beer and to his business and and to his life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I learned a lot from him and Stacy when she came in and talked for a little bit too, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I like, I learned a lot from him about just Beer, yeah, of course, but how you can relate a lot of your passion into your life and still lead a great one. Yeah, I mean, the beer is incredibly cool Mm -hmm. because it's a different kind of wild beer than you think of when when you think of some of the other wild beers. He lets it take its own path, and that's a a great way. That's, That's the whole thing right there. He lets the beer kind of follow its own path. He guides it but doesn't control it. And I think that sounds like a great way to like live a life too. Like you guide it, but you can't fully control it. Well, that's what I was going to say. More than the beer, it's the approach to it. Mm-hmm. It's not the the beer becomes something special in and of itself because of the way he creates beer. But it's more just their his overall approach and Stacy's overall approach to not just the beer, but the business and their lives. Yeah, and it's. It's cool in a time then where we all get caught up in, you know, faster, quicker, better. I need it now. You know, uh, Amazon, you can get shit in two hours. You don't even have like two day. I mean, granted, a lot of it's delayed right now, but, <laughs> you know, they're getting into this business model where you can get things like you can order it. And then in two hours, it's on your doorstep if you're in the right place. But you it's counter to that. It's like, come, let's step back and let's enjoy life. Let's not just find out how to do we, more, more, bigger, better, faster. It's, it's like, get more out of your life instead of putting more into your life. 
if that we, makes any sense. We, I don't know. We turn time but, into an enemy, and like you said, yeah. and like he said, I think, yeah, if you can... He definitely... Treat time well. as an ally instead. I like that. Yeah. I've been saying that in my head a lot these past couple of weeks. <laughs> time is an ally. So, it is, definitely. Yeah. And I think he framed that really well. Yeah. So... With that, time being our ally, we should probably let you go because that was a really good podcast and it was a lot a, a lot of good information and a lot of interesting information, I think. And all I can say is go back, go to Bend, visit Bend, and when you go, you have to you have to seek out the ale apothecary because it's not the simplest place to find. It's not the hardest. It's not difficult. <laughs> but it's in a cool little quirky spot, just like you can imagine. So, yeah, make sure you seek it out when you go there, and you will not be disappointed. Oh, Paul's very, Paul's very creative, too, so you definitely have to check out his YouTube channel. Um, I'll put that <laughs> in the show notes. Oh, my God, one of the videos that he made is amazing. Um, and then yeah. he also, if you go to their website, it's in the show notes as well, if you go to their website, he also likes to um, play, and he is, actually, as a writer. Like, he doesn't write very often, but... Uh, he's definitely got some creative juices flowing. As you can imagine, as a so. brewer and a business owner and everything, even as much as he tries to slow down and he wants to write more, he's having a hard time finding enough moments yeah. to write because he's a very good writer. And, uh, yeah, you might check out the blog on the site. And I think he uses some of his stuff. He's I think he uses creative. his time pretty wisely. I think. Oh, I do, too, because yeah. – so. I can taste how he uses know. his time, so oh, yeah. that means a lot to me. <laughs> we can do cheers to but time. But with that, cheers, cheers to, to time. time. Cheers to the apothecary and bend. Yeah. And cheers to you guys for tuning in. Please make sure you subscribe. Leave us a, a review and all that good stuff. Um, check out the podcast page on our website. Uh, buy us a beer if you like. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.